Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about how to cook one of my all-time favorite desserts. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. No foiling about, no multi-paragraph introduction to the recipe telling you of the grand history. Just what is it? Creme brulee. Bam. It is by far one of my favorite uh, simple slash complicated slash not really we'll get to that desserts to serve, to make. It is a sweet and creamy custard it's generally served, I serve it a little chilled, and the brulee part just means burned, where you burn some sugar on the top, which like caramelizes it, gives it a cracky crust on top, and the, the rest underneath is this cool kind of creamy custard, and it's just, oh, it's so, it's one of my favorite things because, one, you make the dessert ahead of time. Well, I mean, a lot of foods you make ahead of time before you serve them, but in spectacle cooking, a lot of spectacle cooking is in the process of the making of the dish, right? Whereas creme brulee, the spectacle is all just in the very moment that you're getting ready to serve it. You take out a torch, you throw a little bit of sugar on top, you hammer it around, you you torch the sugar until it's burned and caramelized, and then bam, it's served. So I, I do really kind of enjoy a little bit of spectacle cooking when I have guests over, but a lot of times it's one of those things where the guests, like, I, I don't mind having people come over an hour or two before dinner is served, that is, when, when we could have people over, um, <laughs> but I, I don't mind that and talking while I cook and maybe having some like moments of flambe or whatever, but that's generally kind of happens in the background and those are minor moments that occur throughout the process of cooking while everybody else does other things. And so it can be easily missed or just not really important. If there's a conversation that's going on, I'm not going to stop and say, hey, everybody look at me, I'm going to set this on fire. I generally just kind of do it and keep going. And if it is a thing, it's a thing. But with creme brulee, it's something that everybody get. There's, there's. We've talked in previous episodes about anticipation, and it's a very small amount of anticipation that kind of builds up. Like, especially because there's a lot of people haven't had creme brulee, and it's oftentimes served in like really fancy restaurants. I myself learned how to make it in a quote unquote fancy restaurant. But it's really not a difficult recipe, at least in the ingredients. There is a little bit of—there are a couple of places where it can be messed up pretty easily. But once you know, like, what's going on, what's doing, you probably—if you mess it up, you only mess it up once. And it's not expensive. It's overall a pretty cheap recipe. And my favorite thing about it is that there's only three main ingredients. There can be more— but the base recipe is three ingredients. That's all you need to buy to make it, uh, so long as you have, you know, tools and access to water. I generally don't consider water an ingredient if it's used to, like, boil water uh, or in a double boiler or something. If, if it's not mixed in to the, the recipe, I do not consider it an ingredient. Uh, I'll also say that my kind of favorite 
place to find this recipe, uh, or at least the version that I most often reference, is actually on the Food Network. It's If you Google the Alton Brown Creme Brulee, that's probably one of my favorite versions of this recipe for so many reasons. Number one, like the introduction to this episode, it does not have six paragraphs of the history of my grandmother's house and what it smelled like and out in the woods and we would come back and have creme brulee. Like, I am so frustrated by blog recipes. Now, that does not mean that I don't like the fluff of a recipe. I think that that is good. I think that being able to blog about it and talk about how a certain food makes you feel or memories that you have associated with it is fine. But when I'm looking for a recipe, I want the recipe because I'm like ready to cook it or I need to know what ingredients to buy. Like I need to go grocery shopping for it, right? And I don't want to have to scroll through like eight pages of stuff to get to the ingredient list. Like at the very least, put the ingredient list first and, and then the blog story or put the blog story at the end or have the blog on like the right side and the recipe on the left. I don't know exactly the best way to do it or the best way to present that because I have yet to try to format that style of, of I, I don't have a food blog, uh, but I, I feel like food blog is separate from recipe in, in some way. So it, it kind of bothers me a lot to see how popular those are, or maybe just a shorter, like one or two paragraphs, not pages. I don't need a, a book worth of fluff for a dessert that has three ingredients so the alton brown recipe on the food network site is just it, it when you load the page it's just the ingredients and the recipe and then everything else is after it like please do that more so that's the one that i kind of suggest but i'll go ahead and talk through the process in this and and i will relate it to a few a dnd related things but i wanted to have a bit of a more kind of food-centric episode and something that you can have a little bit of an understanding of the pitfalls, the reasons why this is my favorite recipe, and then the opportunity to go out there and do it. So creme brulee, three ingredients. It is sugar, it is cream, and it is egg yolks. That's it. So heavy whipping cream, uh, sugar, just white grit. It doesn't have to be powdered sugar. It doesn't have to be special sugar or anything. And it's all, they're all like pretty even measurements. Like there's not a lot of specific measurements. So it's, it's one quart of heavy whipping cream, one cup of vanilla sugar, uh, which it, technically two half cups, really the, the main recipe is half a cup of sugar. I don't measure the sugar that goes onto the ramekins when I burn them. I just do that whenever, so really, it's one quart of heavy whipping cream, half a cup of sugar, and six egg yolks. Quote, unquote, large, if you have access to generally most of the eggs that I've, I get around here are pretty much the same size until you get into like farm fresh eggs or something. But even then, I don't think that as long as you're not using ostrich eggs, you're probably going to be okay. There's a fair amount of... of or like quail eggs, like teeny tiny ones. But there's there's a fair amount of tolerance in this recipe, even though it is technically kind of a baking recipe, which I generally don't do a lot of. Uh, it's it's very, it's not like a cake where you're you're have to pack things or get exact leveled teaspoons or anything like that. The place where this recipe is the only difficult step is just in the process. 
So the ingredients are super simple, but the process, there's a lot of places that, you know, people can kind of get caught up or may get nervous about. And I want to tell you to throw all of that out the window because it's not difficult. It's for a, for a dessert that I've at least seen served in the up to double digit price range, like a 10 or $12 dessert. This is you for the price of one restaurant level creme brulee, you can make a, not quite a dozen, maybe close to a dozen. Um, I think that this recipe about six or eight, it also depends on kind of how you plate them, but we'll get to that. You can make a ton. You could serve a family meal of desserts for the price of one that you could buy in a restaurant, which is probably true for a lot of recipes. But this doesn't have any special ingredient requirements that are going to sit in your cabinet forever and go bad. Like the only thing that you're going to need to probably get if you don't carry it on hand all the time is the heavy whipping cream. But because you use a whole quart of it, you don't you're not going to end up with a leftover amount in your fridge that you're not going to have to you have to figure out a different recipe to cook with whatever you have left right uses a whole container of it so how do we do this uh there's it's it's i love this recipe so much because it's so simple so take your whole quart of heavy whipped cream put in a saucepan put it on super low heat uh some people will there there's a lot of different and this is where i'm gonna so like i'm gonna deviate from the i'm not just gonna read the food network recipe i deviate it from it a bit there's a couple different ways you can do it but we'll we'll get there for now put it on low heat take your six eggs separate them the only leftover bit that you have here is the egg whites and i actually suggest if you are talented or want something to do with them you can actually uh make like a meringue with them which is really just egg whites and sugar and whip that together and you can make that fancier however you want and you can actually top your creme brulee with it if you want to go that route it's something that I actually don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. It took me watching so many seasons of the Great British Baking Show to realize that meringue is a thing that I could probably do. Uh, I haven't done it with creme brulee yet, but I think it'll work. I think it would be great. I think it's something that can be done. Anyway, you may have leftover egg whites. If if you don't want them or you don't have a use for them, just chuck them. It's fine. You want six egg yolks, however you get those, whether it's the pass back and forth in the eggshell method. That's what I usually do. Uh, the using an empty water bottle method has become popular, but we have reusable water containers that aren't really squishy, so I'm not sucking up egg yolks. Uh, but anyway, quart of, whipping, or quart of heavy whipping cream on the stove, low heat, six egg yolks in a bowl, half a cup of sugar, dump it in the bowl, whisk the bejesus out of it. You want to whisk the egg yolks and the sugar until they're what's called creamed, which is where basically the sugar has dissolved into the egg, and it'll take on a lighter color because there'll be a lot of teeny tiny air bubbles in it, and it'll be really well mixed. Basically, you want the eggs and the sugar to look creamy. That's the cream stage or whatever. I don't know if it's an actual stage, but it's called creaming. And you, you basically want to, if you're whisking it and it feels really granular, basically keep whisking. If you have an electric mixer, uh, I would suggest going on low and using a whisk attachment because you want air in there, but you don't want it to be completely foamed. So like a stand mixer will probably work better on a low setting for a longer amount of time 
than a, a like an electric hand mixer with a whisk attachment on high. You don't really want to do that, but you probably can because it's going to sit and some of those air bubbles are going to kind of come out of it anyway because generally you don't need to whisk it for as long as you need to heat the cream. Okay, so that step's done. The last thing, this is the important and crucial step. Now, this is the way I do a hot uh, cream recipe. There are versions of creme brulee that do the eggs on a double boiler instead. I don't do that. I don't mess around with that. What I do is I heat the heavy whipping cream until it is just, it's not quite boiling. And as we talked about in the previous episode, uh, this is the stage where it is at a good simmer. So there's some wispy, airy bits, like a little bit of steam coming off the top of the cream, and maybe just around the edges of the saucepan, there's teeny tiny bubbles. But you do not want a rolling boil. You do not want your cream to be boiling. If it is, you have to turn off the heat, which some recipes do recommend boiling the cream and then turning off the heat and letting it cool down to a level. I found that oftentimes if you get it up to a a good simmer where there's no rolling boil, there's no bursting bubbles at the top, but there is a bit of wispiness coming, you know, as steam is coming off of it, that's about the right temperature. Now, this is the scary part. This is where I have ruined uh, a couple of creme brulee batches, and you know instantly, though, so you can tell but we have to temper the eggs. And tempering the eggs really just means introducing the cream to the eggs really slowly in tiny amounts while we're whisking it to partially cook the eggs without scrambling them. And when I say scrambling them, if you do it wrong, if you just take that whole pot of steaming heavy whipping cream that's been simmering for a while or it's boiling and you pour it into the whole thing at once into the eggs while you're whisking, you will have like almost like cottage cheese there will be big chunks of a like scrambled egg floating in cream that is not what we want and if you do get that really it's okay because you're not wasting a whole lot and you're learning that that's too hot or too fast so how i do it is uh if you have a second person to help you this is a great place for having a second person in the kitchen because Really what you want to do is you want one person, like I will generally hold the bowl and the whisk to keep everything steady, and you don't have to be whisking super fast. You don't have to be like, pop, 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 pop. You just want it to keep it moving, and another person will take, I generally use a ladle. Uh, I think it's like a, I don't know, maybe a half cup to a cup ladle somewhere in there, about a, about a cup, and you want to take a cup of the, the the whipping cream. You could turn off the heat at this point. It's fine as long as it is. You're going to introduce it fairly fast. You're not going to have enough time for the whole thing to cool down. Anyway, you take one cup of the heavy whipping cream and just slowly drizzle it while you're mixing the eggs. And you drizzle kind of into the center or whatever. Keep mixing. And then after you've poured that whole cup, and I would pour that whole cup in the first cup over the course of about maybe five seconds. So you're not like dumping it in. You're just drizzling it in kind of slowly. Or if you were adding it, it'd be like a tablespoon a second or something like that is about the flow rate that you want. And after the first cup has been added, you whisk it for another maybe three to five seconds. Again, you're not whisking super fast or anything, just kind of keeping it moving. And if you can just keep it moving the whole time, then great. 
but then you go in for another cup. And you can add this one just a little bit faster, maybe over the course of three or four seconds, and you keep doing this until you've gone through at least half of the cream, and you could tell that all the sugar is dissolved and that it remains that, you know, you're going to keep getting a lighter and lighter color because the cream is white and the egg sugar mixture is kind of yellow, creamy colored. And once you've gotten through about half the cream, I generally switch from the ladle to just what's left in the pot. And you start, I mean, basically just pour what's left in the pot in at a slow but steady consistency, or not consistency, but rate while you're whisking. And you keep going, and you don't want to whisk super fast. The other reason here is you don't want a whole bunch of air bubbles at the top of your custard. That's what we're making, essentially, is custard. And it's okay if you have some. It doesn't really change. As long as you don't have a thick foam, you're probably pretty okay. So again, we're just stirring. We're not like whisking to aerate. And you just kind of keep pouring the cream in slowly about the same rate that you would if you were scooping it just without all of the pauses to go scoop. And once that's done, uh, you can kind of stir it a few times. Uh, you're probably going to want to have, I, <laughs> so in speaking of recipes, I'm speaking more of the process. If you were trying to follow this through, uh, I would probably prefer a written format because you want to do things like preheat your oven and, uh, and have ramekins ready and a, and a tray ready, yada, yada. But this is more just about the process. So oven preheated and we get into ramekins. So a lot of recipes that I see use the like deeper like six to eight ounce ramekins and I I originally learned how to make these in uh I think they're not like a chafing dish I don't exactly know what they're called but they're actually really thin they have maybe like a half an inch to an inch of depth to them uh and then really wide circles and we would do them on like cookie sheets uh, if you do thicker ramekins, you're going to want to do have your ramekins in like a baking dish because we add hot water to the dish after you put all your ramekins in. Basically, I, again, go back to the same ladle that I was using earlier and scoop the brulee custard into the ramekins and set them in whatever dish that you have. But basically, you want to have a dish that's deep enough that you can put hot water uh, it doesn't have to be all the way up to the level of whatever's in the chafing dishes. Not chafing dishes, the, the brulee dishes, we'll call them that. But pretty close, at least halfway, if not close to the same level as the custard is in your ramekins. Uh, and this is because you don't want the custard to get like rubbery on the outside. The water helps more evenly dis distribute the heat and makes it so that when you bake it, it uh, it is is it gets more even temperature. That's what you're shooting for. So if you're using the really thin dishes, you only have to have like a high walled cookie sheet. But if you are using bigger ramekins, I suggest just a glass, uh, you know, standard like I think like a nine by twelve usually holds about six of them, uh, which is about what you'll get if you use the deeper dishes uh, you can get about six or eight out of this recipe depending on how high you fill them etc throw them in your glass pyrex eight nine by twelve or whatever and it doesn't have to be like boiling water or anything just make sure that your tap like if you throw your tap on run it to hot and as long as it's you know a good hot level uh fill up a, a you know a cup or a 
whatever you want to pour from. And just you, the only part is you have to be really careful when you're pouring because you have to pour kind of into the corner or the side of the cooking dish and you don't want to get any of that water into a creme brulee. If you do, I honestly would just leave it. That one creme brulee will probably not set up properly depending on how if you get like a couple drops in there, it's no big deal. But if you splash a good chunk of water in there. That one's ruined, but I really wouldn't mess with taking it out and trying to reposition the rest of them because you don't want—that's just more room for error. If it's going to be a bad one, it's going to be a bad one whether you take it out and empty it out into the sink and add more water into the tray or just leave it in there. Either way, another handy tip for this is that you can actually, in a lot of cases— open your oven because this is going to be a heavy tray. You've got ceramic ramekins or dishes of some sort in there, all the brulee in there and the water. So what you can do is just put all of your ramekins into your dish, pull out your oven rack and set it on the oven rack, like get it in the hot oven with the door open is fine. As long as you're not going to spend you know five minutes letting all the heat out and pour your water in afterwards. Cause otherwise you have to transport even if you just have to turn around from like an island countertop or something, you have to transport a whole bunch of water and a bunch of dishes. You don't want the water to splash into the dishes. You don't want the, the, the creme brulee to splash out or the custard to splash out into the water. I mean, that's not a huge deal, but, you know, you want as much of the good stuff in the container as you can. And you want to get it all into the oven without dropping anything. So reduce your risk, have the oven open, put the tray in there, pour the hot water and have the hot water ready to pour uh, it usually takes just like a couple of cups. Um, maybe yeah, you can even use your, the saucepan that you just used for the cream. Again, we're not really worried. Like the water that's in there is not really part of the recipe. It's just a thermal conductor. So it doesn't really matter. You don't have to have high quality water or anything going in here. As long as it's not sludge, you're probably all right. And uh, But yeah, do it while it's in the oven. So all you have to do is just shove that thing in slowly. Again, you don't want to slosh a bunch of stuff around. Uh, and then you bake it. And, uh, it, you know, it, the bake times can vary. It's going to be a little bit jiggly and it can be a little bit golden brown on top, uh, but it doesn't have to be a lot golden brown. And in fact, if you don't have any golden brown, but it, it basically when you jiggle it, you're looking for almost like a jello. You don't want it to be obviously liquidy where you can see ripples moving across it. You want it to kind of shake, and and those they may have some creases, but those ripples don't travel across the surface, right? So once it's baked, uh, generally, this is the only other really like hard step, quote unquote, is just getting the pan out of the oven because now you've got uh, like a three hundred and twenty five degree Fahrenheit pan full of super hot steaming water and a bunch of super hot you know, ceramic dishes that are in that water. And it's just kind of heavy. It's mostly awkward. I think the cookie sheet method for the, I, and I still even at home would do the, the smaller, uh, or at least the thinner, wider ramekins. Uh, but I have since transitioned to the deeper ramekins, mostly because the cookie sheet method is prone to more danger. So if you are doing the cookie sheet method, don't just use little square pot holders. Please like use like wrist length at least like pot holder mitten gloves because the risk of you splashing water out of a cookie sheet that's pretty much boiling is uh, pretty high. And 
like boiling water burns technically kind of can burn twice or steam burns can burn twice. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. It it sucks to pour a bunch of boiling water on your arm and can cause you to drop a tray of amazing, delicious desserts. So just be careful pulling it out of the oven. Get it out and let them sit for a minute. I usually let them sit for like five or ten minutes so that the water cools down before I try to empty the water or do anything else. Then I generally pull the ramekins out of the water first because, again, I don't want to have to hold six ramekins while I tilt a big tray of water to try to empty it. So I'm just pull the ramekins out, put them on a towel so that they, you know, the bottoms get dry, and then empty your water and throw that in the in the sink, you know, whatever to, to wash later. Now, from here, generally, I prefer to refrigerate them. Not everybody does. If you like warm custard, it's fine. You can serve them right then and there, pretty much. Uh, but for me, I will uh, cover them in a little bit of plastic wrap, throw them in the fridge for a couple of hours, and then when ready to do dessert, pull them out, sprinkle some sugar on top. Basically, you want enough sugar in there. You can add more sugar than is necessary. And I've done it with like uh, all natural sugar and like white granulated sugar. There's not a huge amount of difference. If you use the all natural sugar, your caramelization will be a slightly more tan, which can look a little bit better. But whatever, the normal granulated stuff works fine. I don't really measure either. I'll dump way more than I need into the first one and then just kind of rotate it around while tapping one side to shove the sugar around, like tap the outside of the container. And whatever's left, I just dump into the next container, right? And then you have a layer of sugar that's stuck to the top of the custard. And then you just hit it with the torch. Now the torching, for me, I found the best technique is you want to keep a couple inches back because you don't want the sugar will sputter. You won't really see it, but as it as it burns, you may see a little bit of boiling on there, but you won't see the flecks of sugar that are coming off that can totally clog your brulee, to brulee torch over time or just get a bunch of burned carbony crusty stuff in there, which you don't really want. So keep it a few inches back, and I generally start by kind of heating the whole top in a couple of circles, but then I'll focus in on one spot until it really starts to bubble because you can then slowly kind of drag that bubbling around the circle, like slowly rotate the ramekin so that it all gets really even. Because if you try to do just swirls and constantly swirling the burner over the top, you're going to get an uneven kind of heat in one spot. Like uh, you want it, it's brulee means burnt. So you want it like caramelized, but you don't want the whole surface black. Uh, black sugar doesn't really taste great. Uh, but you can have a couple of little tiny black spots in there, like nothing bigger than about a dime or so. That's fine. Not going to be a big deal. You want everything to like light tan to a golden brown. Golden brown is about the darkest that you really want it. And I found the easiest way to do that is to get that in one spot and then immediately move over it. But keep getting each spot done before you move on. Because if you just sit there and swirl over the whole top or zigzag over the whole top back and forth... It's going to be an uneven heat. Things are going to cool down before you get back to them. It's going to take you a lot longer to do. Whereas if you just start in one spot and then slowly do the whole thing, it'll come out perfect like every time. And then really, I mean, my favorite thing is to throw some whipped cream on top. Uh, if you at that point have some uh, that you may have made some baked Swiss or uh, French meringue like dumpling, I don't know, the little droplets that you make out of a pastry bag, little decorative bits. If you got some of those baked off, throw one of them on top. I'm sure that'd be awesome. I really do want to try that someday. 
and yeah, serve it. Crack it with a spoon, dig in. It is amazing. It's like, it's like not, it's like, ah, it's it's so hard. It's like none of the words that I'm thinking about to try to describe it actually sound appetizing to say out loud. So I'm not going to do it. It's amazing. Try it, eat it. If you've had it somewhere else and you're like, oh my God, fancy dessert. It's, it's really easy to make. In fact, it probably takes about as long to make as this episode, at least the actual physical labor part. It takes some time to bake after that. Um, but I may have some people clamoring that since the episode was talked about and you said to go use the Alton Brown recipe, that there's more ingredients in there. And there are because generally, which I as well do, uh, it's flavored with vanilla. Uh, I use vanilla extract. The recipe calls for vanilla bean. That is probably a slight bit better. It's a little bit nicer, but I don't, I have vanilla extract in my cabinet. I don't have just vanilla beans laying around. So I use that, but you can also do like any kind of flavor extra extract that you want in here. Or if you want to top it with fresh fruit, uh, strawberries are really great. Like blueberries, uh, those are those are awesome, and you can they like a, a couple of really good flavor extracts are like citrus, so orange and lime. Like if you do a lime extract or just some lime juice, uh, you can get like a little bit of key lime pie in a creme brulee sort of thing going on, which is really awesome. Orange, of course, is a really strong flavor, so it doesn't take a lot to get that citrus flavor through, or just a tiny bit of lemon. I would be careful using like a lemon or lime juice. I have not done that a whole lot, but the acidity can uh, like cook the eggs a little bit. So you don't want to use a lot. And when you introduce it, you want to make sure that it's that you're whisking it or introduce it into your cream. So with my like with the vanilla extract, I throw it in the cream before it's even simmering, like just when I dump it in. If you were going to do lime, I would say probably no more than like maybe a tablespoon of lime or lemon juice. Uh, but you can also do a whole bunch of other. You can go for more uh, aromatic type flavors. Uh, sprig of rosemary or thyme could be really, really good. I don't generally do savory flavors or herbal flavors in sweetened desserts, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. Like if you if you want it, go for it. And again, if you mess it up or if it doesn't come out right, it's not a very difficult recipe. The, the, the cook time is the longest part of it, uh, but cause it could take like a couple of hours of baking, but really the mixing of the eggs and the, the tempering of them, that's all easy peasy. You could totally do it. Anybody can do it. If you have a whisk, a pot and, uh, like, a the, the ramekins are probably the thing that a lot of people don't have a lot of, uh, if you have glasses or mugs, uh, that's about the same wall thickness. So if you have six coffee mugs, I wouldn't fill them up all the way, but you can totally do this recipe with coffee mugs. Like you don't think you need super special. Now, if you have glass glasses, make sure that they're like thicker glasses and that they're oven safe. And please be aware that, uh, you te- glass can be really, if it's not tempered, uh, can be really sensitive to temperature changes. So if it's not dishwasher safe, at the very least, and like microwave safe, don't use it for this recipe. And don't like make sure that you let them cool in the water bath and that the water bath all comes down to a touchable temperature. Like you can hold your finger in the water without burning yourself for like 10 seconds before you remove them and dry them off because you don't want to shock the glass. But like coffee mugs, 
I, I don't I haven't done it, but I'm super sure that you could do this recipe with coffee mugs. As long as they're ceramic, should be all right. And as long as they'd be okay to soak in a hot water bath for a couple of hours. That's probably the the biggest thing that most people aren't going to have. But if you have a ladle and a whisk and a saucepan and a baking, you know, sheet like a 9 by 12 like baking pan and some coffee mugs, you can do this recipe. And I highly recommend it. In fact, it may even be cooler to serve it in coffee mugs because then you can kind of help you have the hanger on the side to hold on to it. And you don't have to have some fancy plate. So I hope that you go out there and try this recipe. And like I said, you can look up, if you just Google creme brulee, there's like a billion recipes for this out there. They're all pretty similar. We talk about in the recipe and rule books episode how I generally kind of look for multiple recipes find what I like, and then go off of that and kind of do an average recipe for a lot of things. This is something that's pretty close to that, but I actually just use pretty much this one with my own variation. Uh, So for the vanilla bean, instead of splitting it and scraping it and adding it to the, the cream and then sieving it off later or filtering it, I just add like a teaspoon of extract. It's delicious. It's delicious without any extracts. The the egg and sugar is the bulk of the flavor. So don't even feel like you have to have that if it's not something that you're going to use in another recipe. And if you do make this recipe or if you've been listening and wondering where the D&D content is going to come in, uh, I was originally kind of considering about doing a Three Pillars episode, but I think I'm going to take that uh, to another episode later. But it, it mostly, I want you to think about how it does not take a lot of complicated ingredients to make a good D&D campaign or to have fun with D&D. However, the bulk of what happens is that you can use really simple ingredients. Cardboard and notebook paper maps with you know coins and circle cut templates. It, the ingredients can be very simple. But it's in the execution where the most difficult pieces are going to arise. Some things can be really complicated to execute, especially if you've not done it before. Having somebody there to explain to you the pitfalls or the places that are likely to trip you up and how to get through those places, in my opinion, is some of the most important experience that you can gather from other people. So... It's less about the ingredients that you're using and more about the order of operations and the procedures that you're using, the processes that you have in place, and the experience you have. For me, creme brulee is not a very difficult dish to make. However, I remember the first few times that I made it, that especially after, because I did it right like my first time, and then my second time, I had scrambled egg mess. And working in a restaurant, there's not a lot. I mean, that's a time sink. That's 15, 20 minutes that I spent. And we generally cooked in much larger batches. So that was like 24 eggs that I just ruined and uh, like a gallon of heavy whipping cream. <laughs> so it uh, is a little bit more expensive when you're doing it in, in that level and more time consuming. And, you know, you're in a kitchen, you're rushing, you're trying to get things prepped up. It's just... I think I nearly cried when that happened, but there was no time. I just had to do it again. But I I will guarantee that I asked my chef, like, why did this happen? What did I do wrong? And 
that's when I learned like there you will find sites that will tell you the exact temperature that you can have your cream at. And if you want to have a thermometer in there and make sure that you're hitting that temperature so that you don't scramble your eggs, that's totally fine. I don't do that because I just kind of learned by doing and learned what it what it looks like. And really, it is just looking out for those wisps of steam. And the biggest deal is even if you're a little bit higher temp than you should be, adding it slowly while mixing keeps you from hitting that point where everything is ruined. And that's the biggest thing that I, that was my biggest mistake was adding the cream far too fast, just going from the pot, no ladle, just pot straight to two eggs, thinking that I could add it slowly enough, use a ladle at least for the first couple of cups uh, or a measuring cup, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be specifically be a ladle, measuring, measuring cup's fine. And really just make sure that you take your time in that spot when you're playing D&D. Take your time when you're getting to something that is maybe is some a cause for anxiety for you or a cause of contention where you're not sure exactly how you're going to do it. Just slow down a little bit. Introduce it slowly. Make sure that you're keeping consistent with what you're doing and you will get through it. You will get through those difficult, contentious moments and then the rest of it is pretty easy after that. So don't worry less about the tools that you have and worry more about just taking your time and being consistent through your process. And you too will end up with a delicious baked campaign or boss battle or political encounter or amazing dungeon as long as you put in the effort and make sure that you're following a good process. Lastly, I just realized, hopefully you've stuck for this long, because we didn't talk about the fire part of the brulee. The one thing that I just kind of assumed that everybody has, which is not related to cooking, I just assume it because as an artsy-fartsy dude, I have a lot of tools in the garage uh, for all kinds of various different hobbies. The fire. Don't, please don't use, like, an itty-bitty butane torch, like a cigarette torch or a cigar torch even. Those... It'll work, but it'll take forever. Just go to like the camp aisle of a a like a camping store or hardware store or whatever. Uh, get one of the green containers of propane, like little squat guys. Sometimes they're sold in two packs, and get a torch attachment for it. It's like five bucks, uh, and use that. The propane burns way better, and you get a hotter more like a bigger torch jet out of it you're going to be able to uh, you know melt your caramelize your sugar way better with that than you are with a teeny tiny little handheld torch it's just going to be a big pain and the the sugar splatter that we talked about earlier big annoying mess with one of those and it'll clog them way faster than the kind of wider nozzle of a propane torch also you can use the blue torches that's what we had in the old kitchen. I prefer the green ones because the blue ones are like skinny and tall and they fall over really easily and you can crack a dish or just knock it on the ground and have a bunch of loud clattering noises. Green cans are short, squat. They have a wide, solid bottom, so they're not going to tip over. They're not top heavy and it just works way better. So do that. Don't worry about or don't try to use, you can use the little butane ones, but I guarantee it's going to take forever and it's not as cool of a spectacle as bringing out the giant propane torch and people are like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm burning your dessert and blam, flamethrower. That's mostly what you want. Get a flamethrower, hire an artificer, make creme brulee.
get out there and do it. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, your comments, or your episode ideas. All of my social media links and my contact information can be found on the card website that's down below in the show notes. If you're looking for more content, check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.